Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Good Friday communion service. It's been a while since uh, we were able to share in the Lord's Supper together, and so to be able to do that on Good Friday does take on a particular uh, significance. Um, sorry that many of you are still not able to be with us in the building, but we do hope you'll be able to join with us and be part of um, the body of Christ as we share in this worship this morning. In John 1 John 4, we read these words. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let's pray as we start our service together. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you were willing to suffer on the cross and give your life as a ransom for many. We thank and praise you for the outpouring of your love. And as we meditate this morning on that powerful act of love, we pray that your spirit would teach us its meaning once again. That he would fill our hearts and you with gratitude so that our worship would be pleasing to you. Help us to take up our cross daily and to follow you in faith and obedience. Amen. Well, as we reflect on Jesus' death this morning, we are reminded that he died for our sakes, that we might have life. The words of our first song, see him there, all in the name of love, broken, yet glorious, all for the sake of us. Well, our readings this morning all come from Mark chapter 15, and Jackie and Rob are going to bring the first, first two for us now. Thank you. Jesus before Pilate. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews asked Pilate knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, 
Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. This past year has been a difficult one for all of us to make any sort of plans, such has been the uncertainty of the COVID risk and the, the changing guidelines. And we find that hard because we, we like to plan, we like to feel in control of our lives. We want to know what is going to, to happen. And that is our biggest problem with God, isn't it? That he is the one who made us, he's the one who knows what is best for us. But we prefer to go ahead and make our own plans for our lives instead of following his plans for us. Verse 1 of Mark 15 in the passage that uh, was read for us, we are told that very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. What were their plans? Their plans were to get rid of Jesus, which meant handing him over to Pilate, the Roman governor, since he was the only one who could sentence somebody to death. They appear to have presented him as uh, some sort of political revolutionary who could be a threat to Roman rule. Hence Pilate's question, are you the king of the Jews? To which Jesus replies, you have said so. In other words, yes, but probably not as you understand it. 
as Jesus said in John's gospel, my kingdom doesn't belong to this world. In other words, he's not a king who's going to gather his forces and rise up against the Romans. He's the ultimate king of the universe. And his subjects not belong to one specific time in history or one specific place, but are from all nations and all times. His kingdom consists of all those who willingly submit to his spiritual rule over their lives. As Jesus is accused by the chief priests, it seems like Pilate can see that Jesus is innocent, but he can't understand why he doesn't defend himself. But Jesus still made no reply, it says, and Pilate was amazed. There was a custom to release a prisoner as part of the Passover festival, and Pilate um, tries to use this to have Jesus released. He asks the crowd in verse 9, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? But we're told in verse 11, the chief priest stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. Pilate tries again, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? He's your king. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What, What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. So what does Pilate do? He released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. What do we see going on here? What, what is driving these different groups of people to behave in the way they do? What is most important for them? We'll start with the Jewish leaders. Pilate is able to see through them, he says in verse 10, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests handed Jesus over to him. What is that self-interest? Well, they have significant status and power, and Jesus is a threat to them. The Jewish leaders talked to the people about the coming Messiah. But when he appeared, they failed to recognize him in front of them. They were so concerned with trying to make themselves acceptable to God and look good in front of the people by keeping the rules and the traditions. Jesus has come to set them free from that, but they they don't even realize they're slaves to their own self-righteousness. What about Pilate? He's an interesting character, isn't he? He's not stupid. He sees the innocence of Jesus. He knows the religious leaders have got their own agenda. So why doesn't he just release him? He does try to. Justice was important to him. But there was something more important. Verse 15, we're told, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He's not much different from the religious leaders. What was more important to him was his own position. And that's the irony here, just as he realizes that it was out of self-interest that the chief priests handed Jesus over to him. So he too is acting out of self-interest and handing Jesus over to the crowd. He wants to maintain control. He can't risk going against the crowd and risking an uprising. Pilate's closer to the truth, but he doesn't have the courage to release Jesus. What about the crowd? The answer is probably in the description. They are just called the crowd. They're easily led. We're told that the chief priests stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. I'm not sure how. Probably wouldn't have been on the basis of who was innocent, but um, maybe to portray Barabbas as the tough guy. He's, uh, he's your man. He's one of you. 
And so when Pilate asks what he should do with Jesus, they all shout together, crucify him. And when he asks why, what crime has he committed, they don't answer. The crowd can't really answer. They just do what they're good at. They shout all the louder, it says, crucify him. People feel safe in a crowd. And finally, the soldiers, who are in some ways similar to the crowd, they could just say they were following orders. They went along with what was expected of them. But each one of them was responsible for their actions. Look at the way they treated Jesus. It says in verse 17, let's read these verses again. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they'd mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. We were all made as individuals with a responsibility for our own choices, our own decisions. Each with a responsibility to how we respond to Jesus. Fifty days later at Pentecost, Peter stands up in front of a crowd and says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You are all guilty of death, he's saying. Religious leaders who falsely accused him, Pilate who didn't have the courage to release him, the crowd who called for him to be crucified, and the soldiers who followed orders to kill an innocent man. And Peter also knows that he too is guilty for deserting Jesus, for denying Jesus. Because the truth is we are all guilty of Jesus' death. And the words of the song we're about to sing, Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. We are all by nature sinful. We all reject God. We all make plans out of self-interest. And so before we're too harsh on the people we've just read about, we're just the same. We're no better ourselves. And so we're guilty. We deserve to be punished. If we weren't punished, God would not be a just God. The good news of the gospel, though, is that Jesus chose to take that punishment for us. And we'll come on to that shortly. But let's first just take some time to confess our sins before God. I'll have a moment of quiet for a personal confession as you speak to God yourself. And then in a minute we'll say a general confession together. But first a moment of quiet. Well, let's say this general confession on the screen together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against your children, our brothers and sisters, in thought and word and deed. In the evil we have done, and in the good we have not done. Through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault, we have wounded your love 
and marred your image in us. We are sorry and ashamed and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light. Amen. Well, God promises us in his word, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And David's going to bring us our next reading from Mark 15, verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Well, by the time the Roman soldiers have finished beating Jesus, he is in such a weak state that he cannot carry his own cross. So the soldiers force Simon of Cyrene to to do it for him. When they arrive at Golgotha outside the city, Jesus is offered wine to, to drink to dull the pain. But presumably because he wants to remain in control of what he's doing, he refuses it. They nail a sign to the cross in mockery, the king of the Jews, not realising that that is exactly who he is. He is a king, and they are murdering the king. 
Passers-by hurled insults at him, saying, So, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. Of course, the temple Jesus had been referring to was his body. In the Old Testament, the temple was the meeting place between the people and God. And Jesus is making the radical claim now that he is the meeting place between people and God. Because in his one perfect sacrifice, he's about to tear apart the curtain that separates man and God. The passers-by mocked, and then it was the turn of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. It would have been unusual for them to have been at a crucifixion. Maybe they wanted to gloat and demonstrate to the people that they were, they were still in charge. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. What they mean is he can't save himself from death. They mean he looks weak and powerless, he's beaten, he's defeated. Those who've caused his suffering represent humanity at its worst. And yet this is the humanity that Jesus came to save. The implication of their statement is that what is the point of being able to save others if you can't save yourself? Surely you put yourself first. But what they fail to realise is that Jesus' whole purpose, his whole mission was about saving others. And in order to do that, he had to sacrifice himself. Jesus could have saved himself. He could have called down legions of angels to destroy his enemies. But if he'd done that, they would not have believed in him. Yes, they would have accepted he was a God of great power, but they would not have believed in him as the the loving saviour of the human race. Because the human race needs saving. Not the temporary saving of a healing of disease, the saving from death, or bringing back to life even, but saving from its biggest problem. It's rebellion against God. The human race needs saving from eternal punishment. Punishment it deserves was rebellion. And the only way for that to happen is for Jesus to die, to choose not to save himself. He cannot save himself and save others. If he saved himself, others would not be saved. If he's to save others, then he has to die. If Jesus was anyone other than God, what he did on the cross would have had no effect His sacrifice would have been meaningless. He would have achieved nothing. He had to be perfect for his sacrifice to be acceptable. And the only way he could be perfect was if he was God himself. And that is the realisation that the Roman centurion comes to at the point of Jesus' death as he utters the words, Surely this man was the Son of God. When the Jewish leaders hear him crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They would have recognised those words from Psalm 22, but they, they cannot make the connection between what is going on in front of their eyes and what was written prophetically in that psalm. They cannot hear themselves saying the words of that psalm, which says, all who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. 
They've forgotten that after David, the psalmist cries out those same words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He goes on to say, in you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Jesus is uttering a cry of anguish whilst continuing to put his trust in God. And the reason he's doing that is because what is happening is precisely what he knew would happen at the end of his ministry on earth. Everything was leading to this point. This was the will of the Father he came to do, that he obeyed even to the point of death. This is the will that he shared as the divine Son of God. And he did that because in doing so, he knew he would save his people from their sins. And it's because he trusts in God that we too can trust in God, that he's not forsaken us. He's made it possible for us to enter his kingdom, to be made righteous, to become his children, in short, to be saved. That sacrifice that achieved our salvation is what we're going to celebrate now as we take the Lord's Supper together. Invitation is given now to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are his body. Before we take the the bread and the wine, Elise is going to give thanks for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that on this Good Friday we can stop and we can together remember the greatest act of love. Thank you that even when we strayed and when we turned away from you, you gave up your only son for us. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Father, we we find it so hard to understand what Jesus really went through on the cross. But as we eat this bread, help us to remember Jesus' body broken for us. Thank you that he suffered so that we don't have to. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Father, as we drink this wine, help us remember Jesus' blood shed for us. We thank you that Jesus took the punishment for our sin so that we don't have to. So, Father, we pray that these symbols of bread and wine would give us hearts overflowing with thankfulness because of the sacrifice Jesus made. And we're so sorry when we so easily forget what Jesus has done. Please accept our praise this morning, both individually in our own hearts and united as a church family as we eat and drink 
in remembrance of your amazing love and all that you've done for us. Amen. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. The um, bread and the wine will be served. And uh, as, they, as you receive, if you just take off the top layer and eat the wafer, um, and then we'll save the wine for a little bit later. If you're not yet at that point of uh, putting your trust in Jesus for your salvation, then just feel free to let the, uh, let the tray pass as it comes round. And whilst they're being distributed, uh, Aaron's going to lead us and see him in Jerusalem.
same way after supper Jesus took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's drink this together in remembrance and thanksgiving that Christ died for us let's drink it Lord Jesus, this supper is always so meaningful and a privilege to take part in. And yet on this day it takes on an even greater significance. As we think of the mercy and hope that we've received from the cross. We pray you would help us to offer it to those who are currently without hope. To those for whom pain is deep, we pray that your love would break through. Give us all the strength to endure in our pain and weakness. To have faith in times of doubt. To persevere against injustice. To be loving in the face of opposition. And to forgive where we have been wronged. We give you thanks because as we, as we have taken part in this supper, we've done so in the, in the knowledge that your death was not the end. We've done so in anticipation of your resurrection on Easter Day and your victory over death. We've done so looking ahead to that day when we will eat and drink again with you in your Father's kingdom. And so we ask you to send us out in your love and in the power of your spirit to live and work for your praise and glory. Amen. Those are some words from from Revelation. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.